today on Ag News Daily. Yeah, we're pretty small fish in the pond. Um, my brother and I milk about 70, 75 cows. Um, we also have a beef operation that we started a couple of years ago. Well, listeners, welcome back to almost a spooky Friday, Delaney. It's Friday the 13th here in October. Are you superstitious? No, are you? No, I'm not. Nope. I, uh, I do wonder if some of our listeners are, though. It would be kind of neat if they shared some of their superstitions with us, uh, because I always find those entertaining, to say the least. Like the black cat or the salt over your shoulder, the ladder thing. Yeah, I agree. I've walked under so many ladders. That's just the nature of, of being on the farm. Sometimes that's the only way you have to go. The only thing I can think of, and I don't think that this is due to superstition, but when I'm walking on a sidewalk, I always like not to walk on the crack because, you know, it breaks your mother's back. But I I don't know. I think that just kind of stuck with me. And when I'm running or walking, I'm trying to take steps that I don't walk on the crack, but I don't think it's because of that. That's funny. That is a pretty good one. I I do when I see a black cat dart across the road, think about it, but it's not in the sense of, I think something bad's going to happen next. But yeah, listeners, send us your superstitions. We'd appreciate that. Weather updates this morning, Delaney. High winds are still in effect for most of Nebraska and Kansas. 30 to 40 miles per hour with gusts of up to 60. Could blow down trees, power lines, and cause power outages. As we look to the central part of the United States, eastern Iowa, northern Illinois, have potential storm risks this afternoon. It's a marginal risk for severe storms, but primary threats for isolated tornadoes, hail, and gusty winds are very minor. There's better odds of heavy rain causing localized flash flooding for our listeners here in central Iowa. Looks like we've got cloud cover for most of the day. About one o'clock this afternoon is when we start to pick up chances for rain. The best chances of rain are between, uh, at least through thunderstorms, is between 2 and 4 p.m. this afternoon here in central Iowa. So got a lot of Snapchats of some areas receiving three and a half inches of rain in and across the state of Iowa. Have you gotten much at all, Delaney? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because uh, a farmer texted me, let me think, yesterday uh, his rain gauge in Conrad, Iowa, which is kind of northeast of Des Moines, he had about four and a half inches of rain here over the last few days, Tanner. So he was just emptying the rain, rain gauge yesterday afternoon after they got a, another round of rain and four and a half inches is what it clocked in at or just above there. So a little late to get some of this rain. We certainly could have used it in some portions of the country, but that might be an indication, Tanner, we're switching weather patterns here. Nice. Yeah, it uh, certainly looks like that's the pattern we're walking into. It certainly does. And some folks uh, are starting to begin to preface and analyze what an El Nino year could mean for yields heading forward. Bryce Anderson on DTN wrote a really good article, if anyone's interested, looking at how corn yields are impacted in years of super El Nino patterns, such as the one we are theoretically heading into now, Tanner. So just a good little read there. I'll mention if anyone is interested. But Tanner, I have some fun Friday news for us today. Are you ready? Yeah, go for it. Okay. You know what a charcuterie board is, right? I can't believe you found that headline. 
Do you know what a charcuterie board is? You didn't answer my question. Absolutely. It's okay. Uh, it's a household staple here. Oh, well, good. It's, it is in my house as well. I'm a big charcuterie board person. Blaine, my husband likes to call it an adult lunchable, which is fair. It pretty much is. Uh, but Tanner Bordery, which is a charcuterie board assembly company based out of West Palm Beach, Florida, has made a humongous charcuterie board. Have you already read the article? I'm guessing maybe you have. <laughs> I'm looking right at it. Okay, well, we can't have you guess then how big the charcuterie board was, but it clocked in at a whopping 769 pounds, Tanner, and it was 20 feet by 14 feet. It featured 13 different artisanal cheeses, five cured meats, olives, flatbread crackers, dried fruits, nuts, chocolates, and more also accompanied the board. I cannot believe that they assembled this thing, but 40 different staff members had to help create this thing here this board now uh surpassed the previous world record which was a 300 pound board tanner this one was nearly double plus the size of that original board but i'd definitely be eating on that yeah it the it was quite impressive to say the least when looking at the pictures and they did state at the end of this whole process uh, a homeless shelter received the goods that were a part of the creation. So even, even everything there, nothing went to waste. So that was good. Good to hear. Always like to get ethanol updates for our listeners. Ethanol output fell to a three week low while inventories continued to decline. The production of the biofuel dropped to just over a million barrels a day, 1.004, down from 1.009 the week before. Ethanol inventories were falling for the second straight week to 21.526 million barrels, down from 21.884 million barrels. So I would assume as we see the corn harvest ramp up, ethanol plants will probably boost their production as well. Either that or they've got staff taking more focus on receiving grain rather than making the biofuel themselves. Iowa is a state that joined the pork producers in the challenge of the Massachusetts law. It is looking at the new law that bans the sale of pork that doesn't meet strict hog confinement requirements. Iowa is challenging that law as part of others jumping in against the Prevention of Farm Animal Cru Cruelty Act, which restricts the sale and transportation in that state by requiring hogs to be raised under certain conditions. So it can't even truck a hog through that state if it doesn't hit their uh, requirements. This is similar to the California law that restricts the sale of pork within the state. But Massachusetts goes that one step further by prohibiting the shipment of non-compliant pork. It not only can't be sold in Massachusetts, they don't even want it within the state's borders. The extreme methods of farm animal confinement restrictions that are put on uh, put on this plate are stated by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to be a health and safety concern. The law was approved overwhelmingly by Massachusetts residents on a ballot initiative that garnered 77% of a vote by the voters. Triumph Foods and other pork producers are arguing that the new law's minimum size requirement for hog confinements are inconsistent with pork industry practices and standards, which is a point in which even animal welfare advocates also agree is above and beyond. So this could cause costly mandates and substantial burdens upon pig producers and 
pork producers that would potentially cause an issue there. But then this week, the Iowa Attorney General's office filed that they will continue to support Triumph and the other states that are taking on Massachusetts, Delaney. Absolutely, Tanner. Well, we've got some a couple of big different headlines here related to Israel fertilizer, etc. Retail fertilizer prices continued to be evenly split for the first week of October, Tanner. And we're starting to see some impact here from the invasion of Israel, as of course, they're a very large potash producer. When we look at impact from this week's attack, if you will, we saw that these retail fertilizer prices are split with prices for four of the eight major fertilizers higher than last month, while four of them were lower. And Hydrus really is leading the way here for some of the higher priced fertilizers. And Tanner, in line with that here, we had some movement in Congress trying to introduce some legislation to put a damper on any sort of export uh, tariffs here on especially Russian product. 11 Republican lawmakers from the House and Senate are asking the Commerce Department to reverse a preliminary decision that would raise duties and tariffs on Russian phosphate. And the original plan was to raise that those duties from 9% currently where they are to 53%. They said, of course, by raising these, it would be very detrimental both on price, but also availability of phosphate for American farmers and could compromise our ability to be competitive and productive in the world food place. So that will certainly be interesting to see how this moves forward. But like we said, some fertilizers now are double digits lower compared to a year ago, and others are still pushing higher, but certainly not as high as we saw in its peak, Tanner, for fertilizer prices. Uh, that is, uh, again, something that we're probably going to have to really pay attention to. Israel did issue a warning to 1.1 million people that they need to leave the northern Gaza area. UN evacuate or UN department is stating that this evacuation order is impossible and this could create a hellhole using quotes that will be on the brink of collapse. We continue to see support pour in. Canada provided $10 million in assistance through the Red Cross and Partners in Crisis for the Middle East. Uh, the Iranian foreign minister warns of new fronts opening up against Israel if war crimes continue. We will see the UN Secretary of or the US Secretary of State will continue to provide uh, information. They're looking to provide a stop to Bahrain in diplomatic efforts during this process. Unfortunately, we still have Americans that are believed to be hostages in that area. Uh, we will continue to watch what's going on, but Putin has even weighed in on the conversation, stating that this will be a difficult war, and unfortunately that Russia is unable to contribute and help as far as uh, additional support goes as they've got their own war to focus on. Not a surprising headline there, Delaney. And it looks like so far Israel has dropped the same number of bombs on Gaza in six days as it did during their entire last conflict in 2014. So lots going on over there, unfortunately. It doesn't seem like this is going to go away anytime soon. 
and it's probably going to have those spillover effects like we've been discussing this week on American agriculture. Absolutely, Tanner. Well, one effect on American agriculture is always the weekly or the monthly WASDE report. We had that come out yesterday at 11 a.m. Central Time, and markets certainly that that was a pretty friendly report for the bulls. We saw, Tanner, some adjustments, early adjustments here to yield were made by the USDA as they lowered corn yield just a half a bushel, but that was enough to give the bulls some fodder here to chew on. And soybeans were raised, or excuse me, were lowered about three-tenths of, four-tenths of a bushel compared to September's report. So Tanner, all in all, a fairly friendly report. We saw, of course, production numbers reflected lower as well due to the changes there in yields. And as far as ending stocks go for the United States, we saw wheat slightly raised compared to September's numbers. Corn was lowered as well as soybeans were slightly lowered. And when we look at the global picture here, we saw wheat actually come down just slightly in world-ending stocks. Uh, we saw them come slightly down in corn-ending stocks and very much lower in soybean-ending stocks compared to the September report. So all in all, a lot of production numbers came down, and it was a fairly bullish report, except for wheat there with some mixed results. The wheat balance sheet, of course, reflecting that much larger production number compared to the September 30th small grain summary report. But all in all, it was a fairly friendly report and soybean markets in particular, Tanner, had a blast after yesterday's release of the WASD. But as we look into the overnights, that's the big question is how they're going to shape up here heading into the weekend. Yeah, before we jump into that, I just have two quick little headlines. Uh, during a Wednesday visit to a Virginia school, Tom Vilsack announced the USDA will be partnering with the Urban School Food Alliance to help school districts get food in proper places aligned with nutritional structure for schools. This is part of Biden's administration to meet goals that the White House has put together on hunger, nutrition, and health. And Vilsack believes this program will help convey that. We also had news from President Zelensky that stated here he wanted to remind the West that his battle with Russia is still a full-scale invasion and is expecting them to help. Unfortunately, he stated with the terrorist attack, the he would put Russia and Hamas in the same basket. That's what I've got for headlines today. Where are markets going to open this morning? Well, Tanner, we're certainly still seeing some positive momentum after yesterday's trading session. Uh, soybeans yesterday certainly were the big winner as far as markets pushing higher, and they're continuing to push just a little higher here again this morning. But when we take a look first at corn, it's interesting to note that since September 19th, when we put in a low in December corn, corn has now rallied nearly 30 cents, Tanner, in just less, just under a month here. But heading into this morning's trading action, we're up two and a half pennies in the overnight at 4.98 and a quarter. Soybeans, like I mentioned, are continuing to push higher. I think at one point in the trade yesterday, they had surged more than 40 cents higher following the release of the WASD today in the overnights. They're up about seven and a half cents at 12.97 and a quarter. Wheat, even considering some of the mixed news they had in yesterday's report, is also struggling to push higher here this morning as well. 
December Chicago wheat up 10 cents on the board at 581 and a half. December hard red winter wheat up 10 and three quarter cents at 685 and three quarters. And December spring wheat up 10 at 733 and a half. As we take a look at the livestock markets here, they also pushed higher yesterday to close 82 and a half cents higher in the December contract at a buck 87.80. November feeder cattle added a dollar 57 and a half yesterday to close at 253.57. And December lean hogs had a nice little 12 and a half cent bump to close yesterday out at 70.10. Tanner, for today's final Friday interview of the week, we are turning it over to have a conversation here with farmer Mike Hildebrandt to see how his growing season has turned out. So let's turn it over to that conversation. Well, folks, for today's Friday episode, we're, Tanner, let's call this today Farmer Friday because we're chatting today with farmer Mike Hildebrandt, who farms in Prescott, Wisconsin, just one mile from the Minnesota border, chatting how the harvest season has been going, which we'll get into here in just a little bit. But Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Delaney, for having me. So, Mike, you are, like you said, one mile from the Minnesota border there in Wisconsin. Talk to us about what the farm looks like today. Well, today it's pretty wet. Um, thankfully, we finished beans two days ago. was able to get all my cover crop seed down yesterday before this rain came. So we are happy with that. So last couple of years, we've not been able to get a rain after seeding the cover crop. So it kind of hasn't got much growth to it before freeze up. So we're excited for this year to see what transpires out of getting a good start on cover crops. How long has your farm included cover crops? So we started we started no-till first about five years ago, five to six years ago. And probably two years into that, we started the cover crop thing. It's been interesting. It's been a it's been a challenge, but it's also been a good learning experience. So hopefully we can get a little bit better results with it. I mean, it hasn't been bad, it just hasn't really benefited us a lot, I can't hundred percent say, but then again, there's a lot of work being done below the soil surface that we probably don't even quantify. Mike, before we dig into the row crop side, you're also a dairy farmer as well. Talk to us a little bit about the dairy side of your operation. Yeah, we're a pretty small fish in the pond. Um, my brother and I milk about 70, 75 cows. Um, we also have a beef operation that we started a couple of years ago. To diversify a little bit and eventually the dairy will probably go away but for now we're we're keeping it on and we got quite a bit of pasture ground so no matter what we will have livestock to keep that in pasture production because it's not very good production for crops so we will yeah i mean it's it's a cash flow thing you know the banker's a lot happier when there's cash flow coming in every two weeks <laughs> if you're in that mode where you want to expand, you know, and we're young yet. So if the opportunity arises, we would take that opportunity. Nice. So getting back to how your crops are wrapping up, where are you sitting at for harvest progress? So we, like I said, we finished soybeans two days ago. We have not started corn. Um, a lot of guys are getting wrapped up with beans and a couple guys got on corn and started. Um, Soybeans, there's still a lot of them in the field. I mean, I drove down the elevator the other day and piles and piles of soybeans yet before the rain here. So 
we'll see how much we end up getting and how quick they can get them out. But corn, uh, the corn yields that I have heard have been well above APH, which is amazing with the lack of moisture that we had throughout the growing season. But we'll take any blessing. I mean, it's it's crazy. Even the bean yields were slightly above APH. They weren't off the charts. Some fields were, and we had a lot of disease pressure, believe it or not, on a dry year. We had white mold on a lot of fields that completely destroyed yield potential. But all in all, it was pretty good. We can't complain. Yeah. So Mike, I think this year has been a really true testament that some growers got it and some growers didn't when it comes to rain. What part of the camp did you fall in and how did your growing season go leading up to harvest here? It was kind of a loaded question. We, um, we were doom and gloom most of the summer after, you know, planting was a little bit late because of wet, cool conditions, just like a lot of the corn belt. Once we got it planted, we went almost a month, a month and a week without a drop of rain. And July came and July 4th, actually, 4th of July, we got an inch and a half and it rained pretty much through the end of July off and on. We ended up with six inches of total rainfall for July. Come August, the last rain we got was August 13th and we didn't get another drop of rain hardly until September 15th of any amount to speak of besides a random 10th, maybe here and there, but it was, yeah. So guy was falling in, in June and then in August when you need the rain to fill bean pods, but we ended up getting it. And I, I learned this year more than ever. It's not how much rain you get. It's the timing more than anything. A 10th here, a 10th there adds up and keeps that plant driving to produce a good yield. Yeah, that is sounds a lot like the area that Delaney and I are in. As far as rain goes itself, how, how are you seeing, you mentioned your pastures and pond levels. How's your, your natural waterways handling the lack of rain? They were quite low early on. I mean, once that August dry spell came, um, you know, we're a mile from the St. Croix and Mississippi River, and it's low, but it's not extremely low like down in the southern states you know where the barges can't travel it's it's definitely low it's just there's a lot of streams and creeks that keep it somewhat optimum for not being too low but yeah i mean it's it's definitely lower than what it is normally but it's not drastic this far north Mike, you mentioned that you'd wrapped up soybean harvest and we're starting here on corn do you have any early estimates as far as where you think your yields are going to be for corn? Because certainly for whatever reason, soybeans this year I've been hearing from a lot of farmers have been better than normal and corn yields have been maybe worse than normal. I think we're on the opposite side of that. I mean, beans were better than what we expected. They were, like I said, better than APH even. Corn, the few guys that I've heard from and a local neighbor here, we just did some way wagon testing yesterday for them and they were significantly higher than APH. I mean, around this part, right in my immediate backyard, a 220 to 225 bushel corn average is considered good. I've been hearing 250s, 240s, a lot of 230s field averages. So we have hope, and I think it's going to be better than we ever expected. Well, that's good. So is that what you're looking forward to most for the rest of harvest season, is just figuring out what your corn's doing, or do you have another thing to look forward to? 
No, that's about it. I mean, I'm trying to figure out where we're going to put it all because we we are in the camp that didn't sell everything from last year. So expecting not to have a huge crop, and we got to keep some bushels on hand for feed for the cattle anyway. So with a bumper crop, we uh, will. It's a good problem to have, but we will we'll make it work. And uh, no, harvest corn harvest is on our plate, and that is what we will focus on. Mike, as you think about. I know it's hard to picture 2024 because we're still in 2023's growing season, but uh, will you do anything differently next year, whether it's technology or genetics or anything like that? You got any plans of introducing anything new for 2024? Um, you know, we, I really need to look at the, the disease and the soybeans. You know, we are, we are fairly far north, not, not as north as all growers, but disease pressure has not been a huge problem for us on soybeans especially and this year we had sudden death for the first time we had white mold which we've had we've been fighting white mold for a few years but not to this extent on on fields that never had it before which is kind of what's got us scratching our heads a little bit of what is our what's our plan of attack and i've read a bunch of research i've talked to people and the white mold thing is a battle to get under control because there's just not a lot of stuff that is a true killer of it so that's that's the main thing i mean technology wise you know we we do plan on maybe going to the rtk route just for field borders waterways efficiency timing all that stuff um, right now we are not running rtk satellite signals we might go down that road um yeah so if somebody's got white mold answers for me i'm willing to listen but that's the original reason why we went no-till was to keep our beans shorter to try to get a little, little more air movement through them. It's worked to this point, but this year was not the case. So we are we're scratching our heads on that one. Well, it's always good to get a farmer's perspective. We appreciate you hanging out with us. If you've got social media you'd like to plug, uh, you're welcome to do so. But I know our listeners also say thank you for sharing what you've got going on on your farm. Perfect. No, no problem. Thank you for the time. I appreciate you guys uh, taking the time with me. Well, there you go, listeners. Full week of the Agnews Daily Podcast. We will be back again next Monday with a Good Market Monday conversation, which should be enlightening as we take the information we received this week and see what next week will bring. But for today, what do you say, Delaney? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.